السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ
ولے تو ولے تو کبر اللہ Translation of these verses is as follows. O ye who believe, fasting is prescribed for you as it was prescribed for those before you, so that you may become righteous. In other words, to abstain from sin and increase in spirituality. The prescribed fasting is for a fixed number of days, but whoso among you is sick or is on a journey shall fast the same number of other days. And for those who are able to fast only with great difficulty is an expiation, the feeding of a poor man, providing they have the capacity to do so. And whoso performs a good work with willing obedience, it is better for him and fasting is good for you, if you only knew. The month of Ramadan is that in which the Qur'an was sent down as a guidance for mankind with clear proofs of guidance and discrimination. Therefore, whosoever of you is present at home in this month, let him fast therein. But whoso is sick or is on a journey shall fast the same number of other days. Allah desires to give you facility and He desires not hardship for you and that you may complete the number and that you may exalt Allah for His having guided you and that you may be grateful. And when my servants ask thee about me, Say, I am near. I answer the prayer of the supplicant when he prays to me. So they should hearken to me and believe in me that they may follow the right way.
In these verses of the Holy Quran, God Almighty has described the obligation of fasting, its importance, and the duties of the believers with regards to this month, and also the ways in which one's prayers can be accepted. Such a month has been designated for us, during which God Almighty moves closer to his servants, and Satan is chained. Thus, if the doors of mercy and blessings are being opened to such an extent, then we must greatly strive in order to fulfill the rites of fasting after having listened to these words of God Almighty. On one occasion, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stated that if you knew the excellences of Ramadan, and in which ways and how much God Almighty manifests His mercy, you would have wished that Ramadan were extended to the entire year, so that you can gather the blessings of Allah the Almighty all year long. Thus, God Almighty has prescribed fasting for our own benefit. We can derive spiritual as well as physical benefits from fasting. And now even the non-Muslim doctors are of the opinion that fasting has a positive effect of one's health. Initially, only a small number of doctors held this opinion. But now, many more support this view. And in fact, some non-Muslims have even started writing that fasting brings discipline into a human's life. But in any case, whether the people of this world agree to it or not. However, a believer has personal experience that fasting not only improves one's health, but it also becomes a means for the improvement of spiritual health to a much greater extent. Thus, acting upon this commandment of God Almighty, we should try our utmost to improve in our spiritual well-being. In these aforementioned verses of the Holy Quran, God Almighty has stated that fasting has been prescribed for every believer and every Muslim who is a true Muslim. And so, to remain hungry from morning until evening is not considered a fast. The promised Messiah, والسلام, has stated that through the practice of fasting, God Almighty desires for a person to decrease one form of nourishment and increase in another form of sustenance. A person observing the fast should always be mindful of the fact that observing the fast does not simply mean that one should remain hungry. Rather, one should remain occupied in the remembrance of God Almighty in order to develop a state of inclination towards God Almighty and detachment from the world. That is, so that a person progresses and advances in forming a relationship with God Almighty and also in worshipping Him and remembering Him and that He detaches Himself from the world. One's worldly affairs and endeavours will always remain attached with us, and they are never-ending. However, 
even while we are occupied in ease, we should remember Allah the Almighty, and we should be mindful of His commandments and remain occupied in His remembrance. The Promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, states that therefore a fast means that a person should refrain from the physical food that nourishes the body and instead acquire another form of food that is the means of comforting and nourishing the soul. Therefore, those individuals who observe the fast merely for the sake of Allah the Almighty and do not do so as a mere customary tradition, they should remain engaged in praising God Almighty and also seeking His protection. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also stated that God Almighty does not require for you to simply remain hungry. Moreover, God Almighty has also stated in the very first verse pertaining to the injunction of fasting that fasting has been prescribed so that one may become righteous, i.e. attain taqwa. However, what is taqwa, i.e. righteousness? Taqwa is to abstain from spiritual and moral weaknesses. And as I have just mentioned, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has stated that God Almighty does not require for one to simply remain hungry. In fact, the observing of the fast should develop a standard of aqwa, i.e. righteousness within a person, through the means of which one is then able to protect themselves from all forms of spiritual and moral weaknesses. Otherwise, it is meaningless to fast. Furthermore, the Promised Messiah والسلام, has elaborated on righteousness on one occasion in the following manner. The Promised Messiah والسلام, states, To become truly righteous, it is necessary that a person abandoning utterly such outstanding vices as adultery, theft, trespass, hypocrisy, self-esteem, scorn of fellow beings, miserliness, should eschew all low morals, and should make progress in high moral values. In other words, one should make a concerted effort to abandon these ills, and by abandoning these lowly vices, one should then develop excellent morals. The Promised Messiah والسلام, then further states that he should behave towards his fellow beings with politeness, courtesy and sympathy and he should cultivate true fidelity and sincerity towards God Almighty. And so, it is vital for righteousness and spirituality that one ought to have a true and loyal relationship with God Almighty. The Promised Messiah والسلام, then further states that he should constantly seek occasions of beneficent service. And so, this encapsulates both the rights owed to God Almighty and fulfilling His injunctions and also fulfilling the rights owed to mankind. In other words, one should serve in such a selfless manner whereby people testify that indeed such a person is serving only for the sake of Allah the Almighty and without any vested interests. The Promised Messiah then further states that he who combines all these qualities in himself is alone righteous. The possession of any one of these qualities would not entitle a person to be accounted righteous unless he possesses collectively all of them. And it is regarding these people that it states that لا خوف عليهم 
walahum yahzanun that is on them shall come no fear and nor shall they grieve and so what more would they need when god almighty becomes their guardian as it is said that wa huwa yatawalla salihin that is that he protects the righteous furthermore in another hadith i.e. tradition of the holy prophet peace be upon him it is stated that god almighty becomes their hands with which they grasp and becomes their eyes with which they see and becomes their ears with which they hear and becomes their feet with which they walk in another hadith it is stated that god has proclaimed that he who bears enmity towards a friend of mine should become ready to contend with me then in another hadith it declares that when anyone attacks a friend of god he pounces upon him with the fierceness with which a tigress pounces upon one who seeks to deprive it of its young thus it is only by truly fulfilling the due rites of fasting and by attaining these standards of righteousness that the observing of fast will bring a person and a believer and a muslim under the protection of allah the almighty hazrat abu huraira radiyallahu anhu narrates that the holy prophet peace be upon him stated that god almighty says that every deed of a person is for his own sake except for observing fast in fact fast is observed for my sake god almighty says that a person observes the fast purely for the sake of god and true believers observe the fast for the sake of god almighty and god almighty further says that the one who observes the fast for my sake then i personally become its reward that is god almighty shall grant him whatever he pleases similarly the holy prophet peace be upon him also stated that fasts are a shield and if any one of you observing a fast he should not utter anything which is indecent and foul in other words one should abstain from uttering immoral and foul speech furthermore the holy prophet peace be upon him stated that if any one verbally abuses him or quarrels with him i one who is fasting he should simply reply to him saying that i am fasting and i shall not indulge in any indecency then after mentioning this the holy prophet peace be upon him also stated that by god in whose hand lies muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam's life the smell of the mouth of an individual observing the fast is more pleasant to god almighty than musk that is the smell is more pleasant than the fragrance of musk the holy prophet peace be upon him then further stated that there are two joys for an individual who observes fast and that bring him happiness Firstly he rejoices when he breaks the fast in that Allah the Almighty made provisions for him to break the fast Secondly when he will meet his lord he will rejoice due to the fasts because God Almighty states that I personally become the reward for one who fasts Furthermore the state of the joy of an individual who observes the fasts for the sake of God Almighty and receives the uncountable rewards of God Almighty will be of a completely different nature
Hence, this is the standard of taqwa, i.e. righteousness, which a person who observes the fast in his true spirit should seek to acquire. And indeed, one who sincerely fasts eventually does attain this standard. An individual observing the fast should not allow his fast to be affected by worldly affairs and should also refrain from all forms of spiritual and moral weaknesses. A person should not rejoice at the fact that he has observed a fast because there are many people in the world who observe fasts yet the standard of their prayers and their morals are not what they ought to be. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has stated that Satan is shackled during this month and that he is tied up. But why then do vices and sins continue to take place in the world during this month? Therefore, the fast only becomes a shield and protects those individuals from the onslaughts of Satan who understand the reality of the fast and become righteous. Hence, this is the true objective we should always remain mindful of. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also warned us and drawn our attention to the fact that if during the month of Ramadan, wherein the doors to heaven are opened and the doors to hell are closed and Satan is shackled during this month, but yet, if one were to witness the month of Ramadan and not have their sins forgiven, then when else will he be forgiven? Thus, in this statement, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is addressing us. He is addressing those who call themselves Muslim. He is addressing to those people to whom God Almighty has commanded that fasting has been made compulsory for you, so that in these days, i.e. of Ramadan, you exclusively remain preoccupied in the worship of Allah and in striving to achieve moral and spiritual heights. However, if you don't do this, then merely the arrival of Ramadan Satan being shackled down and the doors of heaven being thrown open and the doors of hell being closed shut shall be of no benefit to you at all. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also warned that if despite the extremely comprehensive mercy of God Almighty, the means to secure one's forgiveness are not attained even in Ramadan, then when will they be attained? Hence, we should not simply become happy on account of Ramadan's arrival and become satisfied in merely congratulating each other for Ramazan and the act of fasting. Rather, we should seriously evaluate ourselves about whether we are striving to attain the true purpose of fasting as laid out by God Almighty. May Allah the Almighty enable all of us to achieve this purpose and may He grant us His forgiveness. Then, in the next verse, God Almighty also describes those conditions in which one may be excused from fasting. However, before elaborating upon this, God Almighty explains, saying that since I myself am the reward for the one who fasts, 
and I personally provide believers the means to secure their forgiveness. Therefore, the thought should not arise in anyone's mind that we are making a great sacrifice by fasting, as a result of which God Almighty has granted us His favours, forbearance and forgiveness. No doubt, the mercy and forgiveness of God has been made extremely vast. But, observing the fast is still not an extraordinary sacrifice. At the time of Seher, i.e. before dawn, we eat our stomachs fill. And at the time of breaking the fast, i.e. in the evening, everyone eats whatever they desire. And then, this is hardly an ongoing sacrifice. In fact, it is only a matter of a small number of days in the year. There are some people who observe their fast and then announce that they are fasting with great pride. However, this is not an enormous sacrifice which needs to be announced. Rather, even after making the greatest sacrifices, a true believer, a true moment, constantly worries about how and when God Almighty should become pleased with him, let alone announcing it openly to others. Nonetheless, God Almighty states that these are a fixed number of days, in other words, the twelfth part of the year. And so this is not some enormous sacrifice that you make. God Almighty states that in these days, God is granting you His special mercy. And so, if even in these few days you end up falling ill, or need to undertake a journey, then there is leave from fasting. However, this number of misfasts must be observed at some other time in the year. But as for chronically ill patient, not just someone making an excuse, but one whom the doctor has forbidden from fasting, then the command is to feed a needy one, if one has the ability. And in terms of the ability to do so, this is compulsory unless the person himself is dependent upon donations and charity. In all other cases, whatever one eats himself, he must feed a needy one the same. And if one can do more than this, then they should also give the fidya and then later make up the misfast as well. In relation to this, the Promised Messiah states, that God Almighty does not burden a person beyond his capacity. Whatever ability and capacity one has, i.e. whatever you yourself normally eat, give fidya according to that in expiation of previously missed fasts, and make up the resolve to observe all fasts in the future. The Promised Messiah states, Once the question arose in my mind as to why fidya has been made compulsory. So upon reflection I was given to understand, that it is for the sake of enabling one to fast, so that one can be granted the ability to fast thereby. The Promised Messiah states, God Almighty is the Lord of Providence, and if He so desires, He can even grant a person afflicted with pulmonary physis the ability to fast. In other words, God Almighty can also grant a person afflicted with tuberculosis a full recovery so that he may also fast. Thus, the Promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, states, This is the purpose of fidya, 
that one may acquire the capacity to fast, and this only happens with the grace of God Almighty. The promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, states, In my estimation, it is a beautiful thing that man should supplicate, O my Lord, this is your blessed month, and I remain deprived of its blessings. And who knows if I shall remain alive until the next year, or if I am able to make up those fasts which I have missed, or if health ever permits me to fast again. And thus one implores the ability to fast from God. The promised Messiah states that in these words one should implore from God the ability to fast. Hence, those afflicted with temporary illnesses can also give the fidya so that they may get well and come fast. And then at the end of one's journey and upon recovering from sickness, it is also compulsory to fast. The need to observe both observing misfast and giving the fidya, i.e. charity and arms, is proven by the following. The promised Messiah states, Those who end up recovering and are able to make up their fast, for them to think that they only need to pay the fidya, legitimizes something which is forbidden and opens a dangerous door. If one's condition is such that he recovered after Ramadan, or he became ill in Ramadan but later recovered, if such people simply say that we do, not, we do not fast in Ramadan but pay the fidya, then this is also opening the door to legitimizing something that is wrong. It would be condoning false exceptions, opening forbidden ways and forging false innovations. Even if one has paid the fidya, he still needs to make up the misfasts after Ramadan, and these misfasts can be kept any time in the year. The Promised Messiah explains, Indeed, terminal patients, breastfeeding women and pregnant women, in this state when the entire year passes, it is enough to give fidya. But along with fidya, it is important to maintain one's worship of God and the remembrance of Allah and other good works in this month. However, it should not be the case that since we have paid the fidya, therefore we are free from all other responsibilities as well. Therefore, those people shall also continue to receive the blessings of Ramadan, even if they are not observing the fast, but instead they pay the fidya and maintain good works. But simply paying the fidya and then forgetting about daily prayers and other acts of piety does not make one a true believer. And it does not join one among those partaking of the blessings of Ramadan. God Almighty then states in this verse that whichever good work you carry out with the utmost obedience, even if you don't want to do it, you still do it because it is a command of God Almighty. And subsequently God Almighty shall reward you with even more. And according to some, the meaning of is also, so whatever extra good you do from yourself, this is also better for you. Both definitions are correct, which means that one gives extra fidya, or if one feeds two needy people instead of one needy person as charity, or in the case that for some reason one was unable to fast one day, and he knows that he will be able to make up the fast the next day, he still pays the fidya as an additional act of virtue. And so regarding this, God Almighty declares that this is better for you. And this is because whether good works are carried out by burdening oneself, or as a voluntary act, but as long as one does it happily, and Allah the Almighty grants the recompense for it. And at the end of this verse, God Almighty has once again emphasized that your observing fast is better for you 
in every respect. Then in the following verse, God Almighty says that we have caused the Qur'an to be revealed in this month, i.e. the month of Ramadan, and the Qur'an is a means of guidance for you and contains within itself clear and illuminating signs. Thus, the Holy Qur'an and the Holy Month of Ramadan have a special connection. And so, alongside fasting, one ought to ponder over the Holy Qur'an and strive to act according to its teachings, so that one can derive true blessings from the fast during the month of Ramadan. Not everyone can understand the deep intricacies of the Holy Qur'an. Hence, along with the recitation of the Holy Qur'an and reading its translations, which everyone is able to do on their own, one ought to derive benefit of the dars, i.e. the lectures of the Holy Qur'an, in whichever mosque the Jamaat has made arrangements. Similarly, there is arrangements of dars which are played on MTA, and it is vital to gain benefit from these. Also, the dars, i.e. the Quranic lectures of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, Rahimullah, are also being aired on MTA. Furthermore, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also enjoined that we should recite the Holy Quran as much as possible during this month of Ramadan. Even in other days, an Ahmadi ought to recite the Holy Quran as much as possible, but it is essential for the month of Ramadan. Otherwise, simply fasting is futile. And God Almighty has especially mentioned the revelation of the Holy Qur'an in relation with the Ramadan and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has also emphasized this. We are fortunate that in this era, God Almighty has enabled us to accept the ardent devotee of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, i.e. the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wassalam, who has taught us the hidden meanings and intricacies of the Holy Qur'an and outlined new angles and interpretations of those meanings. The Promised Messiah alayhi salatu wassalam, also especially reminded us to act on the commandments of the Holy Qur'an and to grant it honor and to reflect over the Qur'an and to recite it. Thus we ought to read the Holy Qur'an and strive to act on its teachings. Then, with regards to how one should bring about a change in their conditions after reciting the Holy Qur'an, the Promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wassalam, states, There is a great distinction between the acquisition of worldly knowledge and knowledge of the Holy Qur'an. In other words, there is a great difference between obtaining secular knowledge and gaining knowledge of the Holy Qur'an. The Promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wassalam, states, that righteousness is not needed for acquiring secular knowledge, such as grammar, physics, philosophy, astronomy, medicine, etc. It is not necessary that a student of these subjects should observe salat and the fast, and should be mindful of divine commandments and prohibitions, and should subordinate his every action and word to divine directions. Thus, it is an important principle that in order to acquire the true comprehension of the Holy Qur'an, one must observe the fast, fulfill his dues of worship, and offer the prayers 
and also excel in righteousness, i.e. taqwa. The promised Messiah states that it is not necessary for one who does not seek the knowledge of the Holy Qur'an that they should observe the fast and offer the prayers, and nor is it imperative for that, for that individual to be mindful of God Almighty's injunctions, i.e. what one ought to follow and what one ought to abstain from. And although these principles are not essential for those who seek to attain secular knowledge, however, the one who endeavours to obtain the knowledge of the Holy Qur'an, it is essential for him to adhere to these injunctions and to adhere to all of God Almighty's commandments. The Promised Messiah further states that one's every action should be in accordance to the injunctions of God Almighty. Indeed, it often happens that the seekers of worldly knowledge become atheistic and are involved in every kind of vice. Today, the world presents a remarkable spectacle. The Promised Messiah states that today the world presents a remarkable spectacle. Though the people of Europe and America acquire higher proficiency in worldly arts and sciences and daily make new inventions, however, their moral and spiritual condition is deplorable. And in this day and age in particular, their moral condition has further deteriorated in the name of freedom. The Promised Messiah further states, if we cannot even mention some of the scenes that are witnessed in the parks of London and the hotels of Paris and are published in the daily press. Whilst on the other hand, righteousness, i.e. taqwa, is an essential condition for heavenly learning and for acquiring knowledge of the mysteries of the Holy Qur'an. For this purpose, sincere repentance is needed. For the door of Qur'anic knowledge is not opened until a seeker of it carries the burden of divine commands with perfect humility and meekness and turns to him humbly, trembling before his glory and his might. Without these, he cannot obtain from the Holy Qur'an the means of fostering those qualities and faculties which generate delight and comfort for the soul. Thus, righteousness, ay taqwa, is a prerequisite in order to understand the knowledge of the Holy Qur'an. The Promised Messiah first states, that the Holy Qur'an is the book of God and its knowledge is in the hand of God. Thus righteousness, i.e. taqwa, is the ladder for the acquisition of such knowledge. And so, when one uses the ladder of righteousness, only then can one attain the true comprehension of the Qur'anic knowledge. The Promised Messiah continues, Then how can it be possible that the faithless wicked who are evil-minded and are held prisoner by their earthly passions, should achieve such knowledge. For this reason, a Muslim who is a Muslim by name could well be the greatest scholar of Arabic morphology, syntax, etymology, literary critique and other such sciences, and in the eyes of the world could well be the greatest expert in all fields of knowledge, for example, an eloquent in Arabic, and may well be able to produce an excellent translation of the Holy Qur'an. But, the promised Messiah states, But if such an individual does not purify their soul, then the knowledge of the Holy Qur'an is not granted to such a person. The promised Messiah further states, That I observe in this day and age, 
that the world's attention is greatly inclined towards the acquisition of worldly knowledge, and the enlightenment of the West has astonished the world with its new inventions and creations. The path that Muslims have thought to follow in order to secure their own prosperity and success, unfortunately is by making the people of the West their leaders and priding themselves on following Europe. The Promised Messiah states, This is the state of modern Muslim thinkers. Then there are those Muslims who are old-fashioned in their thoughts and who consider themselves to be the guardians of the faith. A summary and sum total of their lifelong achievements is that they are entangled in intricacies and disputes that relate to Arabic morphology and syntax. And they are at daggers drawn over the correct pronunciation of the Arabic word Dalin. In other words, they are fixated on discussions of Arabic grammar and how one ought to pronounce words correctly. The Promised Messiah states that they pay no attention whatsoever to the Holy Qur'an. And how could they when they pay no attention to the purification of their souls? Thus, the Promised Messiah states that Ahmadis should not just simply pursue worldly endeavours. In fact, they should also strive in order to acquire the knowledge of the Holy Qur'an. On one occasion, someone asked the Promised Messiah how one should recite the Holy Qur'an. In reply to this, the Promised Messiah said that one ought to ponder and deliberate over the Qur'an and recite it with the utmost concentration. In the Ahadith it is mentioned that there are many Qur'an, i.e. those who recite the Holy Qur'an, who are cursed by the Qur'an. Whosoever recites the Holy Qur'an and does not act on its commandments is cursed by the Qur'an. The Promised Messiah further states that when reciting the Holy Qur'an, when someone comes across a portion in which there is mention of the mercy of God Almighty, then at that moment one ought to seek mercy from God Almighty. And when one recites the portion in which the Qur'an refers to punishment of a particular people, at that point one ought to seek protection from God Almighty through repentance and seeking His forgiveness. One should ponder and reflect over the Holy Qur'an and act according to its teachings. Thus, this is the manner in which the Holy Qur'an ought to be read. Since we have been commanded to focus our attention on the Qur'an in this month, therefore we ought to read it in light of these injunctions. The Promised Messiah further states, So be aware and do not take a single step contrary to the teaching of God and the guidance of the Qur'an. I tell you truly that anyone who disregards even a small injunction of the 700 commandments of the Qur'an shuts upon himself the door of salvation. The ways of true and perfect salvation have been opened by the Qur'an and all else is its reflection. Therefore study the Qur'an with deep contemplation and hold it very dear. Love it more than anything else. For God has said to me, Al-Khayru kulluhu fil Qur'an meaning that all good is contained in the Holy Qur'an and this indeed is the truth. The Promised Messiah further states, Pity those who favour anything besides it. The fountainhead of all your prosperity and salvation lies in the Qur'an. There is no religious need of yours which is not fulfilled by it. On the day of judgment, the Qur'an will confirm or deny your faith. There is no other book beneath heaven besides the Qur'an which can directly guide you. It is only through the Holy Qur'an that one can be rightly guided. The Promised Messiah further states that God has been most beneficent toward you in that He has bestowed upon you a book like the Holy Qur'an. I tell you truly, that if the book which has been recited to you was recited to the Christians, they would not have perished. 
And if this favor and guidance which has been bestowed upon you had been granted to the Jews in place of the Torah, and some of their sects would not have been denied the day of judgment, therefore appreciate this favor that has been bestowed upon you. The promised Messiah further states that the Holy Quran is the most precious favor, it is a great wealth. And if the Holy Qur'an had not been revealed, the whole world would have been nothing more than a filthy half-formed lump of flesh. The Qur'an is a book in contrast with which all other guidance amounts to nothing. Thus, we ought to understand the Qur'an when we recite it, and we ought to focus our attention on attaining the guidance contained within it. Many people will have focused their attention towards this during the month of Ramadan, i.e. towards the recitation of the Holy Qur'an, but it is necessary for them to make it a part of their daily lives. God Almighty has commanded the believers to pay special attention towards the recitation of the Holy Qur'an. And this is because when one devotedly undertakes this endeavor during the month of Ramadan, then even afterwards they will be mindful of this. Otherwise, the purpose behind God Almighty especially drawing our attention towards the recitation of the Holy Qur'an in this month of Ramadan would amount to nothing. A believer, i.e. a mu'min, is one who is steadfast in searching for new ways to perform virtues and continues those deeds. Thus, this great guidance was granted to us by God Almighty through the Holy Prophet wasallam. Therefore, we ought to strive to our utmost in making this a means for us to attain guidance. After mentioning this verse, God Almighty then further states that one ought to observe fast. However, for those who are sick or a journey, it is imperative that they complete their missed fast later. One cannot be exempt by simply giving fidya, i.e. alms or charity. God Almighty has conferred a favor upon us by permitting those on a journey or those who are sick to fast afterwards, because God Almighty does not wish to put his people in hardship. God Almighty then states that one ought to especially exalt God Almighty in the days of Ramadan to remember Him and occupy oneself in His worship. Also, that one ought to be grateful to God Almighty for having guided Him and that God Almighty sent down such a complete book which contains perfect guidance. However, we can only truly show our gratitude when we act upon those commandments of the Holy Qur'an. Then, in the following verse of the Holy Qur'an, God Almighty states that in the month of Ramadan, my servants increase their endeavor and search for me. Thus, I am near, and that I listen to their supplications. And if they seek for me with sincerity, I accept their prayers. However, in order for you to have your prayers accepted, you must first act on my commands. God Almighty states that one ought to act on his commands and for one to increase in their belief in him. There are some people 
who, after offering supplications for only a few days, have the grievances that God Almighty did not accept their prayers. However, if we do not listen to God Almighty's commandments and do not act on them, and do not set out in search of His love, and nor do we become His true servants, and instead only pray when we are faced with hardships or difficulties, then how can one complain that their prayers are not answered by God Almighty? Therefore, we must first reform ourselves. And indeed, in order to reform ourselves, it is vital for one to pray for them to reap the blessings of God Almighty. Therefore, it is also vital to pray for this. In turn, God Almighty will provide the means for our contentment and satisfaction. How does God Almighty accept prayers? If God Almighty grants one contentment of the heart, then it means that their prayers have been accepted. In this manner, God Almighty will listen to our supplications, just as He listens to the supplications of His sincere servants and those that are devoted wholly to Him. Hence, we must first take the step, and in turn, God Almighty will make special provisions to accept prayers and grant His nearness to the believers, especially in the month of Ramadan. Therefore, we ought to strive particularly in this regard, otherwise we can never have any complaints against God Almighty that He does not accept our prayers. With respect to the manner in which one ought to supplicate and how one can develop the condition whereby their prayers will be accepted, the promised Messiah has guided us in the following way. The promised Messiah states, it is an established truth that the one who does not carry out virtuous deeds, he does not truly pray. In fact, that individual attempts to test God Almighty. Therefore, prior to offering supplications, it is vital that one ought to exhaust all one's faculties. This, in fact, is the meaning of prayer. The Promised Messiah further states, Do not think that we already pray every day and that the Salat we offer is also a prayer. Indeed, Salat is a form of prayer. However, it is also important for one to develop condition within themselves which is necessary to attain the true objective of prayer. The Promised Messiah continues that prayer which follows true knowledge and is born of divine grace is of an altogether different colour and complexion. Such prayer is a thing that consumes. It is a fire that melts. It is a magnetic force that draws divine mercy. It is a death but ultimately gives life. It is a raging flood but finally turns into a boat. Through it every wrong is redressed and every poison finally becomes an antidote. Thus, this is the effect of true prayer. The Promised Messiah further states, Blessed are the prisoners who never tire of supplication, for they shall one day be freed. Blessed are the blind who are not listless in their prayers, for they shall one day see. Blessed are those lying in graves who supplicate to God for help and succor, for one day they shall be taken out of their graves. Blessed are you who never tire of supplication. Your soul melts in prayer, your eyes shed tears, and a fire kindles in your breast, which takes you to dark closets and wildernesses, so that you may taste solitude, and drives you to restlessness and near madness. 
for you shall finally receive divine bounties. The God to whom I invite is very gracious, merciful, modest, true and faithful. He bestows his mercy on the humble ones. You too should be faithful and pray with all sincerity and faith so that he may bestow his mercy upon you. Disassociate yourselves from the commotion of the world and do not give religious complexion to your egoistic disputes. The promised Messiah further states, God Almighty will show miracles to those who supplicate and those who ask will be blessed with extraordinary grace. Prayer comes from God and to Him it returns. Through prayer God becomes as close to you as your very life. The first blessing of prayer is that it brings about a holy change in a person. The Promised Messiah states, In short, prayer is the elixir which turns a handful of dust into pure gold. It is water which washes away inner impurities. With such prayer the spirit melts and flows like water to fall prostrate on the threshold of the Holy One. It stands in the presence of God, bows down and prostrates before Him. The Salah taught by Islam is only its reflection. The standing of the spirit signifies that it shows readiness to suffer every hardship and to obey every command for the sake of God. The bowing down of the spirit before God means that by renouncing all other love and relationships, it has turned to God and belongs to Him alone. And its prostration is that it falls on the threshold of God and forsaking all personal thoughts, loses the very identity of its existence. This is the prayer which helps to establish communion with God. And this is the prayer that Islamic Sharia has depicted in the prescribed daily Salat so that the physical prayer may inspire the spiritual prayer. Thus, this is the condition that we need to develop within ourselves in order to witness the wonders of the acceptance of prayers. And along with keeping the fast in the month of Ramadan, we must also partake in worship in its true sense and experience the acceptance of prayers. If our prayers are not being answered, then the weakness is on our part. However, God's words can never be proved false. We must particularly pray during these days in order to improve our conditions. And God Almighty indeed is close to His servants, but during these days He becomes even closer. And we must prostrate before God Almighty with utmost sincerity in our obligatory prayers as well as our voluntary prayers. A holy prophet, peace be upon him, has stated that the first ten days of this month are to attain God's mercy and the middle ten days are to seek his forgiveness and the last ten days one seeks to be saved from the hellfire. May God Almighty enable us to become his true servants and cover us with his mercy and forgiveness and may we become the recipients of the blessings of this month. During these days, particularly pray for the Jamaat, that may God Almighty turn the evil ploys of the opponents of Ahmadiyyad back on them, and wherever plans are being contrived against the Jamaat, may God Almighty turn them back on them. Pray for the Muslim Ummah, that may God Almighty stop them from carrying out cruelties, and from taking the lives of one another.
and may they become truly sincere Muslims and may they be able to recognize the Imam of the age and pray for the world in general because they are heading towards destruction at an alarming pace. May God Almighty grant mankind wisdom so that they may recognize God Almighty and be saved from this destruction. After the Friday prayers, I shall lead two funeral prayers in absentia. And although they passed away two months ago, but the details were not before me until now. The first funeral prayer is of respected Dr. Tahir Aziz Ahmed Sahib, son of late Arshadullah Bhatti Sahib from Islamabad, Pakistan. And second funeral prayer is of Dr. Iftikhar Ahmed Sahib, son of the late Dr. Khwaja Nazir Ahmed Sahib from USA. They both had travelled to the area of Fatajang in order to deal with some matters regarding their land when Dr. Iftikhar Ahmed Sahib's attendant kidnapped them on 13 March and later brutally killed them. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. To Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. In Pakistan, people who commit such murders have no fear of being caught if they kill an Ahmadi. This is because according to them, killing an Ahmadi is an act of virtue and also they have the full support of the Maulvis, i.e. the Muslim clerics, who will then try their utmost to set them free. Therefore, being Ahmadis also played a factor in their killings, and so in one way we can say that they attain martyrdom as well. Dr. Tahir Aziz Sahib was born on 27th November 1967 in Mitha Tawana, Ahmadiyyat entered his family through his great paternal grandfather, Hazrat Mulvi Noor Ahmed Sahib ta'ala anhu, from Lodi Nangal Gurdaspur. Hazrat Mulvi Noor Ahmed Sahib ta'ala anhu, refused to sign on Mulvi Muhammad Hussain Batalvi's edict, which declared the promised Messiah, alayhi salatu wasalam, to be a disbeliever, i.e. kafir. Hazrat Mulvi Noor Ahmed Sahib ta'ala anhu, wrote a letter to Mulvi Muhammad Hussain Batalvi. Regarding this, which was then published in the very first edition of Al-Hakam on 10th October 1897. Also, it is mentioned in Tarikh Ahmadiyyat Volume 1 that the Promised Messiah والسلام, invited Hazrat Mulvi Noor Ahmad Sahib's father, Mulvi Allah Ditta Bhatti Sahib of Lodi Nangal, to Qadiyan in order to teach his children Mirza Sultan Ahmad Sahib and Mirza Fazal Ahmad Sahib. After his matriculation exams, Dr. Tahir Azizai passed his DHMS exam from the Islamabad Homeopathic Medical College and then began his practice in Chatta Bakhtabar, Islamabad. He was very open-hearted, extremely kind, hospitable and compassionate. He practiced as a doctor for a very long time and also offered his house to serve as a centre for people to come and pray. He had great love for Khilafat and upon his demise, hundreds of non-Ahmadis, men and women alike, expressed their condolences and considered his demise as a great loss of the nation. He leaves behind his wife, two daughters and one son. His son resides here in the UK and is Rana Khalid Sahib's son-in-law. And Fuzail Ayaz Sahib, who is a life devotee and serving as a missionary and used to work in MTA and is now serving in Jami Ahmadi Arabwa, was the deceased elder brother. The second funeral prayer is of Dr. Iftikhar Ahmed Sahib. He belonged to Taregri, which is in the district of Gujranwala, and he was the maternal grandson of Hazrat Muhammad Jamal Sahib, a companion of the Promised Messiah. Ahmadiyyat entered his family through his grandfather, Khwaja Jalaluddin Sahib, 
during the era of Hazrat Khalifa al-Masih II His father, Khwaja Nazir Ahmad Sahib, had the opportunity to serve as a chemistry teacher in Dalimul Islam College, Rabwa. Dr. Iftikhar Ahmad Sahib acquired his MBBS from King Edward Medical College, Lahore, and after that served three years in an Ahmadiyya clinic in Kano, Nigeria. After three years, he went back to Pakistan for 15 years and completed his MD. He then went to USA three years ago and began working in California after passing his exams there. However, he returned to Pakistan because of his daughters. Dr. Iftikhar Ahmed Sahib greatly looked after the needy and was passionate for serving fellow mankind. He would take part in financial sacrifices and was a very devout person. He leaves behind his wife and three daughters. May God Almighty grant his mercy and forgiveness to the deceased and enable their progeny to remain attached with the Jamaat and the institution of Khilafat Ahmadiyyad.